You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1013 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening. Today's podcast is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Well, 95 calories and 2.6 carbs is only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. Today's podcast will focus on game three between the Hawks and the Sixers in Atlanta on this Friday. And the Hawks, of course, go down by a final score of 127 to 111, now trailing 2-1 in the series. This is the first Second round home game for the Hawks in a playoff series in more than 1,800 days. And they had won 13 in a row at home before Friday night. Obviously, that streak is now uh, over. They could not get stops. That was the biggest theme for me in any way in this game. It's just the inability to generate consistent defensive activity and stops and all that stuff, allowing more than 1.3 points per possession for the entire game. That's not going to get it done most of the time. And they got absolutely housed in the third quarter and then could not mount a comeback after that. So we'll get into it. Um, The series is not over by any means. I know there'll be some doom and gloom, and I already saw that sort of in my mentions in other places. Not over. Obviously, the Hawks needed to win this game to feel really, really good about the series. They've now now lost home court advantage after having it as they returned back from Philadelphia, but still a long way to go, and if they win game four, it becomes a new series. So we'll dive in, as we always do. I think it was always listening to the podcast. Uh, pre-game stuff, not a whole lot to get into. I, I recorded three episodes between Game 2 and Game 3, uh, so those are definitely up there for your listening pleasure, including DeAndre Hunter reactions, etc. Um, Joel Embiid was questionable, ended up playing, playing well. As for the Hawks injury stuff, Hunter, Reddish, Goodwin still out. Chris Dunn was available to play after missing the first two games with a non-COVID illness, but he did not play at all in this game. They started Solomon Hill uh, in the first half, and then they started uh, Tony Snell, actually, after halftime. We'll get into that momentarily. And the Hawks were a small underdog. Uh, Bet online, our friends over there had the Hawks as a plus 1.5 point underdog before the game actually started. And of course, they did not end up covering that spread at home. Uh, before we get to the game itself, today in the road of the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, 2 with his carbs. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. We'll dive in now to the first quarter and uh, kind of an uneven start. On both sides, quite honestly. Uh, it was Simmons on Trey Young at the outset. No surprise there. The Hawks actually actually led this game 4-0. Uh, but Donovan had, had the first seven points for the Hawks in this spot. But Atlanta didn't score for a while after that, about three minutes um, in the middle of that run. Um, I would just say, yeah, the word uneven, sloppy comes to mind as well in the first half. Uh, both sides, not, not just the Hawks. The Sixers were also kind of um, choppy. In the early going, they went to Kevin Herter pretty early. I would have started Herter or said as much. Um, Hill struggled again in the opening minutes of this game. They brought, they brought in uh, sorry, Gallinari and Snell uh, shortly after that. But still, like, weird play continuing. The Hawks had six turnovers and at one point only five field goals. It was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty indicative. Philly had, had four turnovers in their own right. Um, they actually went to Tybal on Trey. Uh, even with Simmons still on the floor when he came into the game, he actually ended up falling out of this contest. And one injury note that was actually uh, Philadelphia-related, Danny Green, who has struggled in the series, but is still a relatively valuable player for the Sixers, actually injured his calf in the first quarter, did not return, and was reportedly in a walking boot. So I'm not sure if he'll be available in the rest of the series. Obviously, there were plenty of jokes about how that helps the Hawks. I totally get that. I think, all things considered, Philly would rather have Danny Green than not, but um, just keep, keep an eye on that as the series goes along. 
The first salvo came from Philadelphia with a 13-3 run to go up by 7 in the first quarter. The Hawks went to their full bench unit, actually, for the final two and a half minutes. They were down 7 when they came in. Um, the first time, though, Philadelphia obliged by going to their their own full bench unit. Uh, a weird, weird thing. Talks about this a lot in, this, in the next series, but it just felt like a regular season game in a lot of ways during that stretch. Um, Herter got foul trouble, which definitely, which definitely, uh, I would say, sidetracked the Hawks rotation throughout this game. Herter had been so good before before tonight, but couldn't stay on the floor uh, foul wise. Had, had second had a second foul late in the first quarter. The Hawks though got a break actually when George Hill kind of imploded for two possessions. Um, but then after a tip in by Dwight Howard, old friend, I, I would say, at the buzzer, the Hawks were minus one with a full bench and down by eight at the end of the first quarter. Uh, a sub-80 offensive rating in the first quarter for the Hawks, and uh, still defensively it was a bit of a struggle, and it was the entire game, allowing a bunch of points in the paint and finishing 58% from the floor in that opening period. Uh, second quarter... Uh, obviously a little bit better. The Hawks ended up scoring 36 points in the second, their best offensive quarter of the game that was uh, at least uh, in play. They scored 36 in the fourth as well. But Bogdanovich actually came back with the bench to start the second quarter. They allowed a dunk, actually, on the first possession to Dwight Howard to go down by 10, but they were much, much better after that. Um, Lou Williams had his best sequence of the night with a uh, an, an assist to a Congo for a dunk and then hit, hit his, one of his trademark fading away jump shots. Uh, there was a bad foul by Herter. Just not a smart play. I think he's uh, been playing very well recently, but this is a bad moment. Already with two fouls, he kind of like tapped fouled um, on a Dwight Howard dunk attempt. With two fouls, you just can't afford to do that with how short they are right now. That was his third. He ended up having to sit for a long time after that. They brought in Collins and Young after that together and played offense first. They played a few very, very, very offense-focused lineups in this game. That was the first one with Young and Lou in the backcourt with Gallinari Madonovich and Collins. Um, that didn't work a whole lot, especially defensively. As Philly wrapped their largely of the game at 41-30. to They brought Hill back in for Lou out of that timeout for some stabilization. They did score three times in a row after that timeout with Collins getting a nice pretty lob play from Trey for a dunk. Um, and after a very, very slow start uh, offensively in the first quarter, the Hawks scored 16 points in the first nine possessions in the second quarter. Now, they couldn't get stops, but offensively they found their groove and played much better on that side of the floor. They went to the starters late. Um, they actually went to Snell for Hill because of foul trouble, and they just kind of had to draw and draw and draw and try to look for different lineup combinations. There was another big dump by Collins late um, from Troy after Embiid hit a three, um, and they got they got the margin down to, to as low as, uh, as five at the end of the first half because actually there were, there were a ton of whistles. There was not a lot of uh, flow to this game overall, I will say, but Trey gets to the, right to the rim on the last possession, got the lead down to five. So, after what was not a great first half, the Hawks being within five was a pretty good sign, I thought. They attempted 10 free throws in the second quarter and shot 74% from the floor in the second alone. That was a great offensive quarter for the Hawks. That helped their offensive efficiency for the entire game and the entire half really a lot by how well they shot the ball in the second quarter. Trey had 16 at halftime, 15 for Bogdanovich, and uh, you know the, but the Sixers were able to score at will, and that was kind of the theme of the game itself. Um, all right, before we dive into the rest of of the game and some takeaways, individual stuff, etc. A new segment brought to you by our friends at Michelob Ultra. It's the Ultra Moment of the Week. We talked about the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week earlier on, but uh, last week we debuted this segment, and it was pretty easy to pick the Michelob Ultra Moment of the Week. Last week it was Trey Young taking a bow after putting away the Knicks. This week a little bit less fun for the Hawks, obviously, with uh, you know trailing in the series. And I will, uh, long story short, I will choose Bogdanovich's three 
to put the Hawks up by six at the stretch of game one. Um, it was not a great ending in game one for the Hawks as they kind of imploded and uh, sort of threatened to lose that game. They ended up holding on, though, and I thought the biggest shot of that whole stretch was Gall- was, uh, was Bonanovich hitting a three and then celebrating wildly. This is almost as much about the celebration as anything else. Bonanovich's uh, celebration reactions have been very popular in Hawksland, and I think he's been so good this season, uh, getting some national attention as well, and, you know, that was a big shot. It was probably, again, the single biggest moment of that game in terms of just holding off and not end up, not ending up blowing that lead at the end of the game. So, uh, not a lot to choose from in terms of positivity after two straight losses. But in the Hawks only win this week, and also uh, a pretty nice moment just given the celebration and all of that stuff from Madonovich. Go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with the ultra with, with the hashtag Ultra Moment. Ninety-five calories, two point six carbs, only worth it if you enjoy it. Joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. The Nickelodeon Ultra moment this week goes to Bogdan Madanovich in Game 1 of the series. All right, we'll dive in now to the third quarter. I guess the second half overall. And uh, spoiler, the third quarter was not good for the Hawks. I almost said it decided the game. It kind of did in some ways. But the third was where things, uh, sort of the bottom fell out for Atlanta. Um, it started out okay, actually. It was a good energy bucket from, from Collins that they were going. It just didn't last very long. A 9-0 run by Philadelphia to put the Hawks down by 14 with 8-19 remaining. And Trey got his third foul in that stretch. There was a moment where MB was moving pretty gingerly into the timeout. Um, I'm not sure if he uh, tweaked his knee or what was going on there, but he ended up staying in. Um, and, you know, that, that was at least noteworthy. But after the timeout, it didn't stop. The binge didn't stop for Philadelphia. It became a 15-2 overall run, and the Hawks were down 80-62. Um, Philly scored 19 points in about five minutes. They were 8-9 of nine from the floor at the outset in the third quarter. There was a total breakdown in transition defensively for the Hawks and allowing Ben Simmons to get, to get a dunk. And the Hawks also offensively were not great either. They only had two points in about five minutes of their own. They finally caught a break from there when Embiid blocked Capella and the ball went right, right to Herter for a three that they definitely needed, but then Philly just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. They had a mini run brewing, actually, but Capella missed a pretty easy dunk on a lob from Trey, and that was kind of a microcosm of the night, honestly, just like, there were some positive moments, and every time it kind of kind of got going, it just couldn't go over the top, and that was one of those examples of that. They found their offense, though, late in the third, a little bit better. Cut it to 14, they, were got, they got into a bonus a little bit as well in the third quarter, but they shot themselves in the foot down the stretch. Uh, down 15, at a timeout, they tried to steal some time without Young or McDonough on the floor together. Now, we talked about this endlessly last series, less so so far in this series, but the Hawks have not been good at all with their full bench, or especially without the stagger of Young and Bogdanovich. Um, I did not love that decision, because the game was already wavering. I said as much in real time. Uh, you just couldn't afford to do that there. With, with You were already losing. And uh, to go on and go with a very, very bench-heavy lineup there did not make a lot of sense to me. Ended up being a minus five in that stretch. They scored two points. Um, without Young Bedanovich on the floor. And uh, up until then, the Hawks were scoring totally fine for the game. About 1.15 points per possession, which is about their season average. Um, when that ended, that was less so. But they were down 20 at the end of the period. That was the largest deficit of the night. It wasn't over, but it felt a little bit closer to over. Uh, you know, down 20 versus down like 14 is very different after three quarters. Uh, the Sixers, by the way, were 12 of 19 from the floor 
and they attempted 12 free throws in the, in the third quarter with no turnovers. So defensively, it was just a total mess the entire period. And then offensively, the bottom fell out as well. It was very pivotal, I think, overall. You know, obviously, the scoreboard tells the story. It was 34-19 in favor of Philadelphia. I want to play one piece of audio for you. Uh, Sarah Spencer actually asked Nate McMillan about uh, what transpired in the third quarter. Pardon the feedback. Uh, Zoom provides some interesting uh, audio challenges. But you'll hear Sarah, and then you'll hear what Nate had to say about the third quarter. Hey, Nate. Um, just kind of how tough was that third quarter? And was that when you felt like you guys started to get away from what you wanted to do? Yeah, I thought they they pretty much uh, did a good job of executing and, and really just uh, pounding us, uh, taking advantage of their size. Uh, I thought Tobias, uh, you know, kind of took over uh, at one point and uh, basically we just could not get uh, stops. You know, we're not able to get stops and get out into uh, transition um, to get anything easy, you know, so we're, we're taking the ball out of the net. We gave up a, a big third quarter. Uh, and when that def- when their defense is set, they're pretty good. So again, there were moments of uh, disaster outside of the third quarter in this game. But if you were pinpointing one stretch, it was probably that one, particularly the, uh, the run early on in the third and then that bench unit unable to really sustain down the stretch of the third quarter. Uh, again, it wasn't over. The Hawks did threaten at least mildly in the fourth. They actually ended up trailing by as many as 22 with about nine minutes to go. They did score five points in a row. Um, there was I, I, The one thing I want to mention that was uh, frustrating as uh, someone who's trying to be a, sort of a neutral observer, Joel Embiid went down hard in the fourth quarter, and some Hawks fans pretty loudly cheered that. Um, and John Collins, uh, to his credit, immediately waved them off and told them to stop doing that. But you, you just you just don't want to see fans cheering someone's injury. Um, you know, clearly it would it would certainly make the series easier for the Hawks if Embiid was not dominating and effective. But you you do not want to root for a guy to be injured. So that was uh, hopefully an outlier, and I think you know goes without saying, at least it should that you shouldn't be rooting for injury. And John, uh, again, to his credit, stepped in and was like, no, 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 don't do that. Um, but you know that's the kind of stuff that doesn't give you a good national reputation. I saw some people tweeting about that. It was pretty uh, clear on the broadcast and on the rewatch as well that was transpiring. So, you know. Obviously, uh, you know, people are, want the Hawks to win. I, I get all that. But uh, Embiid, uh, y- y- you want to beat them at their best, not because they're injured. So, anyway, uh, after that, there was an 8-1 to run. This is the Hawks' best chance in the fourth quarter. That cut the lead to 13 with 5-13 remaining. Now, obviously, you're down by 13 against a good team. You're not likely to win by any stretch of the imagination. But it's not over. We've seen the Hawks, um, you know, both... Uh, in game one, almost give up, give up a lead that big, and also I think multiple times this year come back from that kind of deficit. So once that little push happens, the game is uh, certainly in play. Then it became sort of interminable in, ter- in terms of how long it how long it was from that point forward. The first thing that happened was a very controversial blocking foul called against Collins um, against Embiid in the middle of the floor. Um, both McMillan and Trey Young were incensed by that call. Uh, I thought it was the wrong call live. I thought it was the wrong call on the replay. Um, Trey got a technical foul, actually, for arguing that call right away. Nate challenged. You know, I wasn't sure if he was going to win it or not. It's one of those where it's got, you know, I understand it not being overturned, although I thought it was the wrong call. It's just one of those gray area things where, you know, letter of the law stuff matters. I thought it was not a foul on Collins. I wasn't, I also wasn't surprised to see it not overturned. It was also an incredibly long review. And to not win it was kind of brutal in that spot because, again, the Hawks were coming back a little bit. I think, you know, they're not likely to win, but that was a big moment. If that was not called live or if something else happens, 
it would have been a little bit more favorable for for the Hawks. There was some ball don't lie action because Philadelphia came out of that break. Harris missed a technical foul free throw, and then Embiid split his two. So they actually went one for three at the line, which kind of, I would say, minimized the damage a little bit there. Um, and the Hawks, with this, with this very interesting lineup choice, they went with a, a very big lineup. It was Capella, Gallinari, and Collins playing together, which hasn't happened much all year long. And that's normally exactly the opposite of what you would do. You know, most of the time, the general rule is if you're losing, you go small and you go offense heavy because you're trying to make up ground. The Hawks went the opposite direction, uh, which is interesting. Uh, you know, McMillan talked about how he was not going to shy away from anything uh, in Game 4 and beyond. Kevin Chenard, friend of the podcast, asked about that. And, you know, not a whole lot of specifics, but I wonder if we'll see that again. Uh, Philly is a matchup where they actually can work because they are so big, you know, Rarely would you see a team where you could really play that lineup, but against a team that has Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris, uh, that might not be the worst idea in the world. I don't love it because you know Gallo's got to guard somebody. Um, I guess he could, you could put him on Simmons and just kind of make him try to shoot, but all that all that stuff, all that all that to say, they're, they're trying some combinations in the fourth quarter, and that was one of them. One thing I will say now that I also mentioned earlier, but I guess I have to make sure I get it in. I tweeted about this. I talked about it on the podcast with Ben Ladner and others in the last couple of days. I don't know why the Hawks didn't try to foul Ben Simmons and do the hack strategy in the fourth quarter. Or at least the entire, honestly, I was not even earlier. But uh, I don't make a bit too big of a deal out of this. Uh, I don't think it would have won the Hawks the game. But Simmons is clearly uncomfortable at the free throw line. And for me, the, the very, very obvious time to do that is when you are trailing with double figures in the second half. Um, the Hawks very clearly could not stop the Sixers in this game. And I know it's not fun to watch, but if you know you can't get stops, or at least you haven't been getting stops, there's a sort of flashing, blinking light of an option for you to try to foul Ben Simmons, slow the game down, make him go to the line, and if he beats you, he beats you. But I think, based on what I had seen through even you know two and a half, three quarters of this game, there is a very little chance that, that Simmons at the line would have been better offense for Philly than their actual offense. So, you know, is it the biggest deal in the world? No, but I think it would have been a pretty good thing for them to try. Uh, and it looks even crazier now because they did auto-foul him in game one when they were winning. And normally you want to do that when you're losing to increased variance and not when you're winning. So some interesting stuff there. I would have been fouling. I will recommend that again in game four, particularly if the Hawks are not defending very well. It's a very obvious thing to do to both slow the game down and also maybe generate some uh, more efficiency defensively. At any rate, there's another foul after that and another review. Uh, Tybal fouled out and Doc lost that challenge for the Sixers. Um, the Hawks got it to 13 with about three minutes to go after Collins makes some free throws, but then they allowed a layup to Harris and then, empty and then an empty trip and then a B got a layup and it was basically over at 17. They brought in the bench. They emptied the bench in the final seconds and that was the end of that on the way to the 16-point loss. So, plenty to get to as always uh, from this game and looking ahead to game four. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today 
and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? And when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone. And my favorite flavor right now, anyway, I have many favorites, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now when you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry, mint brownie, or whatever you would like, and if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, some takeaways now from Game 3, and clearly not a great performance from the Hawks overall, losing my 16 points in your home building uh, as basically a coin flip game on paper. We'll start with the bad stuff, and that was their defense. They allowed more than 1.3 points per possession in this game. It was actually a very slow-paced game, and to still allow 127 speaks for itself. About a 135 defensive rating is just hideous from the Hawks that you just can't win against a team like Philly, and Philly is a good defensive team too. It makes, makes it even more uh, treacherous. So um, the Sixers were 25 of 30 shooting at the rim in this game. 66 points in the paint, that is an astronomic number. Uh, you don't want to see that, obviously. They shot 58% overall from the floor. They went to 21 threes, which is actually fairly low, but they made 10 of them, which is a good percentage. And they got to the line 39 times. Now, part of that is Embiid. Part of that is, you know, some interesting um, calls, we'll say. Uh, Simmons took eight free throws. But the Hawks actually got a little bit lucky. Embiid missed four free throws, which he's usually better than. They actually were 25 of 39 from the line, 64%. Now, that's a lot of attempts, to be sure, but they actually shot the ball very poorly at the free throw line to help the Hawks out a little bit, or it might have even been worse. Um, now for the series, by the way, in three games, the Hawks have a 123 defensive rating. That's just not good enough to win. Uh, I mean, you can win a game in the series, but if you told me that was the, the defensive rating for the series, the Hawks would be a massive underdog at this point in time. Um, you know, stopping Embiid is the topic du jour, of course. Embiid was plus 16 in 34 minutes, um, basically, so that they were net neutral when he left the floor. Uh, but he was, you know, once again dominant. He is very, very good. There were some soft calls in this game, I thought. You know, Embiid is, um, you know, coming into the series, Trey and Embiid were basically one and two in free throw drawing in most metrics. So as much as their attention is on Trey getting to the free throw line, he took eight free throws of his, of his own. And B doubled that up with 16. So between his general uh, dominance, he's an awesome player. Plus some favorable calls, I thought, uh, a couple, at least a couple, um, in, in his favor in this game. And Capella has struggled pretty mightily in the series. Not just he's not the only one struggling, but that was a rough one. So stopping and B, there's no real answers that reveal themselves in this game. Uh, I was, you know, there's already a big topic, and now even more so as the series goes along. But even Tobias Harris, that they couldn't stop Tobias Harris in this game. He's still very, very efficient. Um, not having Hunter. Uh, they tried Solomon Hill, who did not play well. We'll come back to him later on. But um, not a whole lot of answers defensively overall. And, uh, you know, you, you just cannot give up the kind of efficiency that the Hawks did 
in this game. Uh, on the glass, it was basically about even, so no uh, huge issues there. And I'll say this, uh, the Hawks were not awesome offensively in this game. Um, they had some lulls, to be sure, throughout the contest, particularly the second unit. Um, when, when they went to the full bench, it was pretty bad. There was one stretch in the third quarter where even the starters were pretty bad. But on the whole, the offense was totally fine in this game. They scored about 1.18 points per possession, which is actually more than their season average. And when you factor in they're playing against Philadelphia, who is a good defense, like a top five defense, that's pretty darn good offensively. Like if you just told me nothing else in this series, but you, you say, all right, the Hawks score 1.18 points per possession, you kind of have to take that um, because that's, again, better than their average. And their average includes when, when you're playing against like Houston and all those kind of teams. So um, you can't complain about the offense too much. Uh, there were, again, there were lulls in this game. The Hawks can be better offensively than they were in this spot. And three-point shooting was certainly something to circle. But uh, overall, not bad offensively. I think it was definitely a defensive problem. Um, they took care of the ball much better in this game. 11 turnovers after a bunch of issues in game two. Um, so that was not a problem as much in this game. They shot 56% on twos. That's very, very good. They did miss a lot of their threes. They were 6, six of 23 from three. So uh, if you wanted to point to something that, could, that, that can and probably will improve, that's something. Uh, I think, you know, normally the Hawks would probably make like, you know, 9 of 23, 10 of 23, something like that, and, and they only made 6, so that's a pretty easy sort of layup thing to uh, potentially help you in the future. They got to the line a lot, 32 free throws. They they, they did take fewer uh, by 5, uh, so, sorry, the, by 7 than Philadelphia. They actually ended up making more at the line because Philadelphia struggled so much and the Hawks were very good making the free throws. Um, one thing to point, as, point to as well, 15 assists on 39 field goals is at least slightly concerning. I know Mike Prada, good friend of the podcast, talked about this online a little bit on, on Twitter after the game, but the Hawks had a pretty challenging shot diet. If there's one thing to be concerned about in this game offensively is that the Hawks didn't get a ton of easy looks. They only attempted three corner threes in the entire game, which is very, very low. Normally, Trey is very good at, at creating those shots, and the Hawks just didn't get a lot of those good looks. Um, they didn't make a bunch of shots, you know, but Donovich made a bunch of shots. Trey made a bunch of shots. The results were totally fine offensively for the Hawks. But I think they will need to be better offensively still in uh, Game 4 and beyond if they want to come back and win this series. Um, all right, individually, we'll dive in now. Uh, I'll sort of gloss over the guys who only played the final minutes. That was uh, Bruno Fernando and Skylar Mays. Um, Tony Snell, 12 minutes. He started the second half, uh, did not play very well, only took one shot. Uh, just kind of a non-entity. He had three fouls. It was minus 14. Um, Snell just has to be more aggressive, uh, shoot the ball when he's open, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it goes without saying, I'll, I'll just say it though now, not having Hunter and having to rely on Hill and Snell is uh, is killing the Hawks in this series. And this is someone, uh, I, I think I'm very pro role player. Uh, I've definitely extolled the virtues of both Hill and Snell. And they definitely helped the Hawks this season in terms of their um, just plug and play. And the Hawks had so many injuries that they just had to ride guys like Snell and Hill. But in the grand scheme, those guys shouldn't be playing a combined you know 26 minutes as they did in this game, and they, they just kind of have to right now. They don't have a lot of other options. They're not great. You know, Herter can be better, will be better in the future, but he's the only other guy they can try, and, um, you know, Snell was pretty much a non-factor in this game. Uh, Lou Williams, 13 minutes, uh, 8 points, 3 assists, 2 steals. He had one good stretch in the first half, less so after halftime, and uh, I'm not, a, I'm still not a fan of him of playing him with Trey, but if you're behind, I, I get a little bit more, and by the way, it's a little bit more defensible to try him with Trey when your other options are guys like Snell and Hill. I still wouldn't do it, but I always understand a little bit more. 
Akongwu, nine minutes. Um, defensively, I thought he was fine. Two points, two rebounds. Uh, had, had a foul, was minus eight, though. One of four from the floor. You know, not his best, not his worst. But uh, you can definitely see that they don't necessarily want to play him a ton in this series. I definitely get that as well. Um, Kevin Herter, 23 minutes. He sort of fell back to earth after, a, a obviously, a great game in game two. Uh, Shooting-wise, he's 1 of 5 from the floor, 0 of 1 on twos. Sorry, 1 of, one of, one of 5 on threes, 0 of 1 on twos. Um, three points. An assist. Never got his rhythm, though. Foul trouble the entire game. Got too quickly. Uh, got his third quickly again. And then uh, four pretty early in the second half. So not a whole lot of, uh, you know, static production from Herter. He'll need to be better. I would, I would again, I would start him full stop in game four. Um, you know, they may not do that. Uh, McMillan still is riding with his, you know, uh, normal stuff to keep guys in the, in the, in the rotation. But, he, but the fact that he changed the starting lineup in the second half but went to Snell is just a little bit interesting to me. Maybe he just want, he, he just b- badly wants that push off the bench from Herter. But also, in addition to the minutes, um, you know, the foul trouble, I mean, he needs to play more minutes just in general because he's obviously their second-best wing behind Bogdanovich that's available. Um, Gallinari, 30 minutes in this game. 17 points on uh, 14 shooting possessions is totally fine. Um, but he got he kind of got there in a weird way. He was four of five on twos, zero of four on threes, and then nine of nine at the free throw line. Um, one of Gallo's big virtues actually is, is the fact that he can draw BS fouls. He's a very very good uh, foul drawer in general. He'll lean in, he'll flop around, he'll get to the line, and that helps to boost his efficiency. I don't think he was particularly good in this game, but the free throws definitely help. And uh, as the Hawks potentially look. That's some lineup stuff. You might see um, as much or even more Gallo uh, moving forward if they want to get creative and lean towards their offense a little bit. Um, to the starters, uh, Solomon Hill, 14 minutes. As I talked about with Snell, just kind of a non-factor. Uh, it's very clear that they, they're not going to guard him. He took two shots, 14 minutes. Um, and, you know, same thing as Snell. Uh, you know, <laughs> Hill was very valuable this season. The one uh, quote-unquote reason to put him in the lineup right now would be to guard Tobias Harris, but as many have pointed out, including myself, he's not doing a good job at that. So if that's his one value in terms of the reasoning to do it, it's an even tougher sell. Um, I think there might be minutes for Solomon Hill in that backup role because you have, you have to play somebody. I don't really mind him playing over Snell. It doesn't really bother me a whole lot, but they need to not start him, I think, and also just play him as little as possible, especially as the Hawks are now back against the wall in a uh, situation in Game 4. Um, elsewhere with the starters, uh, Clint Capella, weird game. Uh, eight points, 16 rebounds, which led the entire uh, game. Had two steals and a block, minus 12 in 28 minutes, three away from the floor. It's not great for him, especially with the shot diet that he has at two of four from the free throw line. Um, he did have six offensive rebounds, which is helpful. I'll say this, Capella has not been good in this series. We discussed that earlier, uh, both when I had uh, you know Bowser on and also Ben Ladner this week in, in my solo podcast. Uh, Capella's got to be better. Um, both can be true. I will say this, both can be true. This is a bad series for Clint, and that's a bad matchup against Embiid, and also he's just not playing well. Um, both of those things are in play here. I'm not sure what the solution is. You know, they're not going to just bury Capella. I've seen a lot of people talking about, you know, just bench Capella. And look, look, I think that's, it's okay to play him not not a ton, but they're not going to not start him, I don't think. Uh, it surprised me if they did that. And, you know, 28 minutes, he's already playing less than the starters. He already kind of got that demotion on some level in terms of role in this game. But offensively, he is really hurting them. Um, you know, play finishing is just what it is. He's never been a great offensive player this season anyway, but they're just uh, kind of ignoring him in a lot of ways. He's not making them pay for it. And then defensively, he's not making the same kind of impact um, in this series because Embiid is, you know, is a monster, and uh, it's just not a series that's gone well for Clint. 
I think he can and maybe will play better, but they're going to probably have to look at some different lineups if that's Collins playing the center, playing center with Gallinari more. Um, we'll see, but uh, Capella's not been playing particularly well, and that shows up that he actually was a was a starters uh, the worst of the stars. It was actually minus twelve. That's a little bit you know anecdotal, but I don't think I don't think Clint is playing well. Full stop. So they're going to need more from him or play him less. Um, one of the two, maybe even both. Um, elsewhere with these starters, John Collins had a weird game. Uh, 23 points, 7 rebounds. That's obviously very solid numbers. 10 of 14 on the floor. Totally solid there. 10 of 12 on twos, 0 of 2 on threes. Um, I thought Collins was like pretty bad like for about a quarter, maybe a little bit more than that in the first first quarter plus. Um, in fact, he didn't score in the first quarter. He, so he had all 23 points on 10 of 13 shooting in the last three quarters. So my point on Twitter even was like after the first quarter, I thought he played totally fine. He was getting a lot of heat. And I think in the first quarter, it was justified. I thought it was pretty bad. And then defensively, he was not good in this game. Um, my counter would be that I don't think anybody was good defensively. I mean, I have a hard time picking a single player on the roster that I thought played well defensively in this game. Um, maybe Bogdanovich when compared to his role, uh, but there was just not a lot of defensive stuff. So Collins certainly not his not his best defensive work in this game. No question about that. Um, offensively, you could certainly argue maybe he got a little bit of you know bump in the um, in the stats from the fourth quarter when he was kind of just you know playing hard and doing little things. But I thought he was fine after the first quarter. Uh, first quarter was bad, but I thought the the hate kind of went a little bit too far. Not that he played like incredible, but I don't think a lot of guys did in this game. So kind of a mixed bag for John. If the Hawks get the second through fourth quarter version of Collins, they will definitely take that. I think in the series, the first quarter version not as much, and we'll leave it there for now. Um, the backcourt was, uh, you know, still pretty good in this game. Bogdanovich and Young were the two guys that really sort of spurred the offense. Uh, Trey in both halves, Bogey really more in the first half and not a ton in the second half. Um, Bogdanovich, 19 points on 13 shots, uh, 2 of 5 from, from 3. He was 5 of 8 on 2s, had 4 rebounds, an assist, and a steal. Then a 4 turnovers, so that's probably more than you would want for him, but he was a, uh, a starter best minus 3 in 39 minutes. And then Trey Young, 28 points to lead the Hawks in scoring. In fact, to lead the entire game in scoring. Uh, eight assists, um, three turnovers. He was minus 10, a little bit of noise there, but obviously they were still better with him on the floor than off. Nine of 17 from the floor, three of six from three, seven of eight from the free throw line. So it was one of those games where I think Trey was like pretty solid. He, it wasn't a great Trey game. I thought he was probably better in game three individually than he was in game two. Um and we'll see. Uh, they probably need to have him be like superhuman to win this series, which is probably unfair to him. But it's just kind of the reality right now when you're when you're, when you're down two one in the series. But I thought Trey was not the problem at all in this game. They're throwing they're throwing a lot of stuff at him. But um, to bring things full circle, defense was the problem, and uh, you know not really offense. And I think when when Trey was out there, they scored a plenty in this game. Um, so again, you know, big picture. Hawks now down 2-1 in the series. Um, you know, if you look at the betting market, I will uh, guarantee you that the Sixers are a sizable favorite now uh, in terms of the betting market. Um, that can change in Game 4 if the Hawks are able to hold serve at home. I will be interested to see what the line is for bet online in Game 4. I've not seen that just yet. Um, the Hawks being at home, desperate situation. Um, you know, we'll see how they fare in that in that game. Uh, the series would not be technically over if the Hawks were to lose Game 4, but... Uh, you know, down three one with two with two more games in Philadelphia it would be a heck of a task for Atlanta. So, um, you know, must win is an overused phrase, but it's a virtual must win in Game Four. Uh, I will stop short of calling it a must win, but um, you know, let's just say it goes from 
a competitive series at 2-2 to uh, a, ver- a venerable long shot if the Hawks uh, lose game four in their home building and uh, lose back-to-back games at home. So high stakes, obviously. Um, the whole week, it's kind of a weird schedule, as we talked about at the beginning of the series, but no game until Monday. So the Hawks actually miss Saturday and Sunday at home. I'm not, I'm not sure if the NBA just wanted to have two games per day or whatever whatever the motivation was there. But uh, sort of a long break now. And uh, we will see what happens between now and then. You know, reddish status could, I guess, I guess could change. But big picture, you know, if, if you assume Embiid is healthy and uh, Hunter's now out for sure, nothing's going to like change the landscape of the series, you know, injury wise, unless something crazy happens that that, I, that we're unaware of. So uh, adjustments will be happening in the next two days. No travel, so they have an extra day. Um, we'll see what the schedule is like for the Hawks. But uh, a lot of pressure on Game Four, to be sure, because if they lose that one. Uh, you know, it's again not wouldn't be over, but it would be uh, getting near the uh, the danger zone to be sure. So that'll be that'll be it for today's podcast. Hopefully, the Hawks will be playing better defensively the rest of the series, and that's my takeaway from tonight. But subscribe to the show, follow the podcast, uh, tell your friends, rate, review. I appreciate everyone that has shared the podcast via Twitter or with their friends offline or anywhere else. I try to share uh, via the Locked On Hawks Twitter account at Locked On Hawks. A number of options, uh, whether it be Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, Odyssey. There are other platforms if you enjoy another one. You know, Overcast is one of the popular ones. Google Podcasts. There are other options. If you like one, hopefully we'll be there. If we're not, let me know that. I will try to get that fixed for you. But we should be all across the internet as well as directly from Megaphone. If you ever want to just find an episode in real time, it is available for you. I will tweet that link out as well. But uh, thank you for all the support. Please continue to subscribe and follow and share the podcast. And uh, I'm planning to do an episode between now and Game 4, and then uh, at least one probably will post Sunday night-ish to start the week off, and then uh, we'll have another podcast after Game 4, which is Monday at State Farm Arena. So stay tuned, and we'll see you next time.